0: Hi, this is Allison Pease, associate to the provost for faculty at John Jay College. This fall, the Teaching and Learning Center continues to celebrate excellence in teaching by interviewing former recipients of the college's Distinguished Teaching Prize. In this interview, I talked to Professor Elton Beckett, lecturer in the Communication and Theater Arts Department. Professor Beckett joined John Jay in 2000 and was awarded the Distinguished Teaching Prize in 2012. Though I began the interview, as I have all others, by asking him what winning the prize had meant to him, Professor Beckett took the opportunity to critique the process by which the prize is determined. So we're going to begin the interview there.
1: My job, as I see it, is to help them discover that there's more options than they came in with. And the teaching prize, for me, I I wish that the the mechanism for recognition in the teaching prize was more student-centered than it turns out to be more faculty-centered, because eventually what you get judged on is the materials that you turn in. And I think that that sort of leaves, even though I know my students support me strongly, I think that the... And I've always said this I think that the prize should be really one that's started by the students, that's chosen by the students, um, because I think they know what good teachers are.
0: You and I've talked about teaching occasionally, and you, you've often said that your favorite student to affect is the C student. Yes. What is it about the C student?
1: Because I think a lot of students are C students because they have not had anybody to sort of say, you know, that's a, That's a good place to start. You know, but I also, and this is one of my things about John Jay, is for the longest time, and hopefully that's over now, our C students were not being attended to. Mm-hmm. You know, they were average students, so super academics weren't interested in them. And they didn't cause enough problems in the classroom for anyone to say, "Okay, I got to do something with you." You're just disrupting my class. Students would come, they would sit, and they would do. And those are the students often that I have the biggest struggle with because I see, I've had for the semester, I see the potential in them, and I won't let go. You know, I invite them to my office. If they don't come, then I go find out where they're in class, or that I'm standing out there and I bump into them and say, "Weren't you coming to my office?" you know, and they're like, what are you, are you stalking me or something? And I said, no, I just happened to be walking down the hallway, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and here you are. But, you know, and I, I, I think that we are now getting better in dealing with our C students, but I still think that the resources, and I don't know what the answer to this is, because a lot of those C students are the ones who are working a lot, you know, and the students that don't need to work are usually doing okay, you know, and then we have all of our special programs like the honors program and, you know, all those other programs that those students are really well attended to. Right. And so I would, I really would like to figure out a way, how do we, how do we do that for our C students?
0: Mm. So students who've taken your classes rave about the experience, they describe you as inspirational caring, hilarious, accessible, respected. The list of positive adjectives is really long. So there's no doubt that students value you as a person and they respect you as someone, one student explained it, who's trying to prepare students for their future. One student wrote, his own life experiences shed a light how, on, how any student can go from nothing to something. What is your personal experience, and how does it feature in your teaching?
1: Well, I was, and I tell them this, I was the first one of three students in junior high school to integ- integrate my junior high school of 1,500 students, which was not easy. But, you know, I, was, I come from a community that my parents raised us. Race was always the last excuse. You just were excellent. That's what you were. It was a, a huge burden but it was something that we all got through. And I relate when they come in and say, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. I relate those things. But the, one of the, talk about resources, one of the um, things that students always are surprised when I tell this story, when I was in at UVA, I had a, um, a full academic scholarship and I was there for four years and I starved for four years because my parents didn't have a lot of money to send me. And I didn't realize until about ten years ago when I went to a reunion that I had the opportunity, and there was always um, a meal card waiting for me, but I never picked it up because I never knew it was there. And people just take it for granted that you know these things.
0: That's incredible.
1: So um, one of the I not only found out ten years ago because I was in a group of people we were talking about and they said oh yeah I remember you you know you were in the theater guy but you never came in the cafeteria so and we thought eye. that you weren't I was very skinny he had a 26 and a half inch waist <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, another guy said um, what's your name and I said Beck and he said I thought that yeah because my name begins with a B or something like that and he said and your card was always behind mine and I said what card and he said you're your dining card. You know? I never knew that because I never knew to ask. And that's the position that a lot of our students are in. It's like most of our students work too much, work two jobs because they don't apply for scholarships. And when you take them to the, you know, you, you show them the scholarship page and you say, these are the things that are open to freshmen. These are the things that will be open to you. And I've had students, <laughs> I've had students that have graduated that have gone through with extra money after applying for scholarships, because they're some of them are really, really good at figuring out ways to, to do things, and the and the others are. It's hard though because they're not used to getting what they consider something for nothing, and so having to convince them that that there is they're not getting something for nothing. They're getting an education, and they're they're putting you know they're um, investing their time in this in the same way they would be investing in a job or those hours that they were put in a job so it's difficult um the most difficult thing about telling personal stories is to make sure that you don't start to get indulgent about what the that you don't lose the purpose of the story One of the things that I do um, that I think has to do with the whole justice mission of the college is bring various people from various departments all over the college in to talk to students, my first-year students, for about 15 minutes sometimes at the beginning of class, people from scholarships, people from the McNair program, people from uh, the library, you know. people from all over, because our students don't know what resources are. They don't know how, and that's part of being a citizen, as far as I'm concerned, is knowing where you can get help and being able to utilize that help. You know, we were talking about it in class recently, and we were talking about this whole tax thing, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was saying, as informed informed citizens, what do you think about this tax thing? And the interesting thing was there was a, a... big divide between the students who knew exactly what's going to be in that tax bill and how it's going to affect them and the students who didn't because they're going to professionally they think they're going to be in some area that's not going to be affected you know so that causes a nice discussion between students as opposed to just teaching them public speaking but we went through this push pull a few years ago about teaching skill sets as opposed to teaching content and I think that one of the things that was overlooked in the communications department was you can't when you don't have foundational skills you can't teach content so that's how we came up with the whole thematic approach is that we can combine those two things but it has to be something that the students has to be student centered and it has to be something the students can relate to. because one of the other things that I go to in class is about education. What is education as opposed to just getting a degree, which is what a lot of our students think. I get that diploma. I'm going to be a success. And I tell them it means absolutely nothing because you're competing with the rest of the world. What you need to get is an education. And one of the things that happens a lot of times. And my mantra is sort of, what is your journey going to be at John Jay? You have to strategize and think about what that journey is going to be. And I say this from the first day of first year, first semester, until if I see him in the hallway, the first question I ask is, how's your journey? Where are you now? Where are you in this, this idea of what you came to John Jay to be?
0: a certified practitioner of something called <laughs> sick Voice and Body Training with the Lessac Training and Research Institute. Can you explain what that is and how, if at all, it comes into play in your teaching?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> well, Arthur Lessac, who was actually my mentor as well, died at 102 after um, he had been teaching class two weeks prior to that in Europe somewhere and I met Arthur when he was in his late 80s, maybe 90s. Arthur is one of the, the only American voice teacher. Um, there's Kristen Linklater, there is, um, Catherine Fitzmorris, and, and, you know, they're, they're all English. And, um, Arthur's, our system is based on a kinsesensic approach, which means that we feel the voice. So you, when that whole idea of most people train voice people by listening to the voice and and doing ear training, we do it by physical sensations on the hard palate. Um, We don't talk a lot about breath, but it's incorporated naturally into the progression and we do it from something called familiar events. So we start you from where... You for things that you would naturally do, and then we take those and sort of deconstruct them to help you understand how your voice works for you. How does it apply to my teaching? It changed my life. Um, I studied it in undergrad school, but they didn't call it that, that, you know, it's a little snippet of this and a little snippet of that. I got involved because I called, I was looking for other training in theater other than being an actor and a director, and I called all the major schools and talked to all the major people and When I called Arthur's, I spoke to Arthur, and he was just an amazing person and We went through lots and lots of training, usually in the summer for six to twelve six six weeks um for like three summers, and then you go through teacher training and all this stuff. And then um, the way I apply it in the classroom is I try to get people to really trust themselves, both physically and vocally, Hmm. when I'm teaching voice classes. When I'm teaching other classes, it's a way of looking at the world, simply, straightforward, and using who you are, as opposed to, and for our students, that's really important, because a lot of them come in thinking um, thinking that they don't already possess something that's worthwhile. Yeah. Um, so getting them to understand that, first of all, they've, and all of our students are in hard luck cases. I It's like saying, I mean, to me, I just went through this in class. It's like saying all black people in America are poor and disadvantaged, uneducated, and live right. in ghettos. That's not the you case. Know, and we have a lot of even people that teacher have the construct that our students are all these needy students who don't know how to take care of themselves, who have no good educational background. Right. You know, And and we have students like that, but those students also have something else. So the Lessig training, to get back to that, the Lessig training teaches you to sort of recognize people for who they are yeah. and to take them. You're not really, in most of the techniques that I've studied, and I've studied lots of voice techniques and lots of acting techniques, when you start with someone, you always take them back to zero, as so though they start out with nothing. lessick takes you from where you are and helps you to recognize what your what your strengths are. And Wonderful. So it really translates into the classroom for me.
0: mark of expertise is knowing how inexpert you are. What do you want to get better at?
1: Everything. (laughs) I would like to listen better. I've gotten much better at listening. I have been working for the past five to seven years on letting the class happen because I flipped my classes for the most part. And I... I'm, not, I'm trying to get away from being the sage on the stage at the front of the room. And that's very hard for me because I am a theater person and because I do like to know that I know exactly what's going on in every minute. And um, I like to get better at group work, even though I think it's getting, it's getting close to getting better. It's not where I want it. Yeah. But that's one of those things where I was in someone else's class, an and upper-level class, and they were doing group work, and I said, hmm, this is really bad. Mm. And the professors said to me, what did you think? And I said, well, the information was there, but this really wasn't group work. This was five individual speeches that weren't connected. They were only connected because you gave them a topic. That's not a group. That's not a team. And that's not what we should be teaching them to do because when they get outside of school and they have to be on a team, they've got to work as a team. And I started thinking about it, and then I started restructuring my class so that I actually teach the basis of teamwork, of, of group work. And it's
0: and how do you do that? You tell them, you give them roles, what do you do?
1: I've tried all different kinds of things, but um, what I do is I explain to them what the purpose of any group is, you know, to come out with some kind of outcome. So if you don't know what that outcome is, then it's never going to work. And then I say, you know, every group is going to have problems. I've always, you know, I said, I have a personality that's difficult to work with in a group sometimes because I... I usually I learn this in school. I give a group like two meetings, and if no one takes charge, I take charge you know and then i start i 'm that guy who says no what do you what do you want to do? Okay, you do that, you do this we 're going to meet next week and if you know i said and i 'm that guy and i I said you don 't always need that guy, but someone has to step up, especially if there's going to be some kind of evaluation but that 's the first step is just explaining what a group is i 've tried the roles, but it doesn't really work in the kind of activity that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So I have an evaluation sheet that I give them at the very beginning. After their first meeting, they fill out this evaluation sheet to say what their impressions were of their other group members. This person's going to work uh-huh. hard and it's confidential between me and that person. Right. And Feedback. then and I also inform them that they are going to have the same evaluation sheet at the end. That way, the people who think they're just going to be sitting <laughs> there, exactly, they're okay. and not by me, yeah, know. yeah. And and I say that you know your grades will reflect that, and they do. And this that has been that really successful. The interesting thing is because they're also doing research together and they're doing research separately. Um, that you always have people who want to complicate something that's very simple, and I give very simple instructions every assignment that i have is written because i don't want people to say i didn't understand i didn't get that part you didn't tell me this you know mm-hmm. i learned that the hard way so the group thing for me is one of the things that that still challenges me but the biggest thing is not judging and mm-hmm. that's really hard for me not judging students based on and i had i have conversations with other professors about this and this is one of the things i admire most about greg is that his office is always full of students and they just sit around and talk, you know, in the old, old way that we used to, well, I never did, but most people did in their college. You know, you had this one professor, but in, in theater, you don't do that because you're always working and you get to know your professors that way. But, you know, and the, the thing that I like is I can hear their conversations and he is, you know, Greg is not someone who's sitting in the corner being quiet. Nope. So they're, you know, if they say something that he doesn't agree with, he's in there. You know, but there's no, there's no real judgment there. There's no, he's. You can tell he's listening, and you can see the difference that he's making. And I try to do the same thing when students come to my office. But I have diff, a different kind of relationship with my students than than Greg does. My relationships with students seem to be more they're more we don't usually meet in groups cuz I'm logistically challenged and <laughs> they come one by one and they and I I'm always really careful to remind myself and to remind the students I'm not a therapist
0: The spirit of making small changes Mm -hmm. that can positively affect student learning is there some small thing that you do that you think others could adopt and that would help them help students learn
1: probably just listening I just think that and, and this is what I get from from students I think um we just sometimes just don't listen enough or don't listen for real. We're listening for something, but we're not just listening to them. And I and I think if I have any success in class, it is that I'm not afraid to let them see who I am and I'm not afraid to be wrong. You know, I, I'm, I'm always saying to them, I don't know if this is going to work the way it's supposed to, but let's try it. You know, or do you have any better suggestions? You know, I already have a framework for what I know I want, but as long as they are participating, I mean, I, I had um, this is this is really on my mind right now and really bothering me. I had a student, first year student, who is afraid that he's going to lose his excelsior year um, mm. because he's going to fail math. Okay, you know, and. I said to him, had you come to me even three weeks ago, we, there's something we could have done to help you get through this. But I don't know that, that there's anything I can do now. And I know from having talked to him in my office and having listened to him that this whole education thing, he, the thing that bothers me about it is it's the, same, it's the same journey that I went through. This education thing is going to change his life. It's going to change his family's life. And this one bump in the road could be the thing that, and he's not, he won't listen to this thing. but he's not um, one of our tougher students. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he's not one to say, oh, I'm going to get a job and I'll be back here. Right. I'm afraid that if we lose him, we lose him for good.
0: Right. You know. This is determinative. Um, yeah.
1: And I think, you know, I think that we've done a great job of improving our advisement. But we, but these students really need to be advised, and they don't. And it needs to be a strategic advisement, not just this is what you do to get out of John Jay. But I always have um, probably David Lennox from Career Opportunities or whatever we're calling the department now come every semester. He does forty-five minutes in my advanced classes and fifteen minutes in my in my um, first-year classes because he explains to them that they have to have an idea of what the job opportunities are in the field from that major, not just the major and some vague idea of, I want to be a yeah. policeman even, you yeah. know, but what what kind of policeman do you want to be? What, and how can John Jay help you, getting back to the original thing I said, because that's what the journey should be. And I think we've often, in education now, and that's one of the reasons we're being criticized so heavily nationally, We've lost the whole vision of education as a journey towards something very specific, which may not last forever. You know, I've had four or five careers now. But the start was I wanted to be a performer, and I knew exactly what kind of performer I wanted to be. And I knew that everything that I did in undergraduate school was leading to that. I challenged myself in ways that I wouldn't had had I not had that focus. And I don't see that in our students. I I see... Um, this I I want to get a degree because that's what everybody says you're supposed to do, but what's it going to do for me? You know, and then they come back and they can blame us for not being able to get a job. So it's you know, to our benefit to really sort of help them understand that there's a focus that needs to be there from the very beginning, and it changes. You know, we I think we need more people to. Understand that in the first two years, our students really need a lot of guidance and a lot of help, even the ones that don't seem like they do.
0: Elton Beckett, winner of the Distinguished Teaching Prize 2012, thanks for your time.
1: You're You're welcome. welcome.